The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with the markets and making it a November to remember. Capping off a really strong month is the Dow X's bear market territory. Futures, however, in a bit of a holding pattern after yesterday's rally. And that surge, of course, being fueled by Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, signaling the Fed may begin pulling back on its aggressive rate hike strategy as soon as this month. And this is a bombshell, got to be honest. Sam Bankman-Fried speaks the disgraced FTX chief talking with our own Andrew Ross Sorkin on the collapse of his crypto exchange. It's must-watch TV. And China softening its strategy around COVID, announcing an easing of some restrictions amid continued dissent. We are live in Beijing with the very latest and... This might be the biggest shocker of them all. Elon Musk making peace with Apple, ending his war of words with the tech giant. It is Thursday, December the 1st, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Stick with us. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off the hour with a check on how the markets are shaping up on this first trading day of December. Futures right now, as we mentioned, in a bit of a holding pattern. All of them just fractionally down right now. Uh, actually, the S&P just slightly in the green, and the Nasdaq just slightly in the green, moving very closely from negative to positive this morning, but not a lot of action, as we mentioned, a holding pattern. Stocks rallying Wednesday on the back of the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, signaling a slowdown on rate hikes. The Dow surging more than 700 points, pulling out of bear market territory. That final spike helping to wrap up a very strong month for stocks. The Dow and the S&P, both of them gaining more than 5% in the month. The Nasdaq up more than 4%. On the heels of the rally by stocks, let's get a check on the bond market. Right now, yields... They're just slightly lower than they were yesterday. Uh, we're looking at the 10-year right now at 3.62. It was about 3.75 yesterday. Um, we're still seeing that inversion in the yield curve. Something to watch. A lot of people have been calling that a recession indicator, but we've been saying that for months, weeks, even longer. All right, turning to energy. Oil moving just about 6 bucks a barrel higher over the course of this week ahead of this weekend's OPEC Plus meeting. WTI crude right now sitting at about 80 bucks a barrel. Earlier this week was at about 74, 75 to start the week. We're seeing Brent crude at almost 87 bucks a barrel. And taking a look at crypto on the heels of FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried speaking out yesterday on the collapse of his firm. Again, uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin doing an amazing job in that interview. Bitcoin right now topping 17,000, just barely, just above 17,000, up fraction this morning. Ether and XRP down this morning. But we have seen a bit of a rally this week, all three of those moving higher. All right, let's go around the world right now. Our Jumana Bersetchi, she's in our London newsroom with a look at the overnight action in Asia and the early trade in Europe. Good morning, Jumana. Morning, Frank. Well, Asian markets taking their cue from U.S. stock markets yesterday. And you can see behind me all of these indices ending the session in the green. Also, some more talk about potential easing of COVID measures out of Chinese authorities to be confirmed. But that, again, gave another boost to uh, Chinese equities over here. Shanghai Composite ending the session about half a percentage point higher. The Hang Seng up three quarters of a percentage point. Tech stocks doing quite well. 
Worth mentioning, by the way, for the month of November, Hang Seng was up 27 percentage points. That is the biggest jump in 24 years. So worth bearing that in mind. Switching over to Europe, the picture is slightly more mixed. Uh, you can see that we are uh, tilting towards the green, but not as much as we saw in, in the U.S. in yesterday's session. The FTSE 100 just above the flat line here. Zetchatax up four-tenths of a percentage point. We had the Eurozone final uh, PMI manufacturing numbers come in. The flash numbers higher than the final numbers. So that was a little bit of a disappointment to the market. Not so much the case in the UK where the inverse was true. But generally, people are moving ahead and thinking about the next ECB meeting now. Yesterday, we heard from the Fed and a lot of investors there are thinking they go for 50. Over here in Europe, they're thinking the ECB could still actually squeeze out another 75 basis points. So the focus on, the, on, on this market is what happens at that all-important December meeting at the ECB. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right, let's get a check on some of your morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Frank, good morning to you. Lots going on, but let's start with Salesforce because it is announcing a leadership shakeup. The company revealing that co-CEO Brett Taylor is stepping down at the end of January, leaving co-founder Mark Benioff as the sole person in charge. Now, Taylor, who was promoted from president and chief operating officer a year ago, is leaving to found a new company. The news coming amid Salesforce, Salesforce's third quarter results with earnings and revenue both beating expectations. The company's fourth quarter revenue forecast falling below the high end projections from analysts as it says it expects to take a $900 million hit in sales because of foreign currency effects. Now, speaking to Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night, Mark Benioff discussed Salesforce's need to pivot amid changing conditions. You have to constantly reshape your company. We've already reshaped part of the company. We'll continue to reshape the company because you have to look at everything as the market is changing. Every industry has a slightly different characteristic right now. Some are buying very aggressively. Some are more subdued because of what they're going through. And you want to invest more in the industries and products that are doing well. You want to pull back a little bit in the ones that are not. That's the ebb and flow of how to deal with a crisis. Meanwhile, TikTok CEO says the social media platform is taking greater steps to keep user data secure. Speaking at the New York Times Dealbook event, Show Chu says it plans to lean on its cloud infrastructure provider, Oracle, to achieve that goal because of the company's strong security controls. Chu also said no foreign government has ever asked TikTok for U.S. customer data as the company faces scrutiny out of Washington over its data practices. And Sam Bankman-Fried speaking out on the collapse of FTX. Bankman-Fried joining Andrew Ross Sorkin via video feed from the Bahamas at the Times Dealbook event, trying to dispel beliefs he tried to swindle customers of the crypto platform. I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. I, I was excited about the prospects of FTX a month ago. Um, I saw it as a thriving, growing business. I was shocked by what happened this month. And, you know, reconstructing it, uh, where are there things I wish I had done differently? Frank, Bankman-Fried's comments. Oh, okay. Here's, you know, the long and short of what happened. And, and I'll start by saying, uh, just to, to make a distinction here, you look at the U.S. platform, you look at the international platform. The U.S. platform uh, is a U.S. regulated platform with American users. To my knowledge, that's fully solvent. That's fully funded. And Frank Bankman-Fried's comments come ahead of a Senate hearing on FTX collapse later today.
Yeah, amazing interview by Andrew Ross <laughs> really, Sorkin. Really, yes. Yeah, I think the part where he says, what do your lawyers think about this? And then Sam Beckman-Fried said they think it's a bad idea. And then he kept going. Was, <laughs> I, mean, it just, it, I mean, I think we're all just kind of like just waiting for more and just want to hear what he has to say. I'm waiting for Squawk Box. I think Andrew may have missed a, a career in the law. Uh, <laughs> great interview by him. Silvana, Absolutely. thank you very much. We'll you see you later it. on the show. All right, turning our attention back to the markets. The stock's coming off that major rally on the back of Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's suggestion. The central bank is ready to slow the pace of its aggressive rate hiking campaign with hikes likely coming as early as this month, or the slowdown, we should say. During his speech yesterday, Powell reiterated the Fed's mission to tame inflation while avoiding over-tightening. I don't want to over-tighten. My colleagues and I do not want to over-tighten because, you know, we, I think that cutting rates is not something we want to do soon. So that's why we're slowing down and, you know, going to try to find our way to what that right level is. All right. Joining me now, Bill Stone, chief investment officer of the Glenview Trust Company. Bill, great to have you here. Thanks. So, Bill, just listen to what Jerome Powell had to say. Again, it's a suggestion. He didn't come out and say we're doing anything. But the markets, they really seem to like his comments. So in your opinion, uh, based on that bounce that we saw yesterday, are those comments, are those basically that pivot that everybody's been looking for? You know, I think it's. Not quite yet. So, you know, he clearly was very, uh, as they always are, Fed Chairman, um, measured in his speech. So he said, you know, moderate the pace. So I think that at least gave people confidence that you're just going to see, as I should put in air quotes, just a half a percentage point here in December. And then I think the market at least is thinking uh, that you're going to move then down again to just a quarter of a percent in February and another quarter of a percent in March. And we're done. Interesting. So know what else is pretty interesting? That those comments came just a day before today's PCE report. It comes out at 8.30 this morning. In general, I think the markets would take a softer than expected PCE, you know, a better number. It's hard to say. It's like lower inflation, which is actually yeah. better. Um, but lower inflation as a sign that the Fed might do exactly what Jerome Powell is suggesting. So is he trying to give the markets momentum? I mean, what was the motivation to come out and say this a day before the metric that we all know they're watching comes out? Yeah, I'm not sure the timing was uh, what he was looking for, but I think what he's trying to do is hope to get us to a soft landing in the economy. So you talked about it earlier, uh, the yield curve or many of the yield curves are, are still inverted, which is you know one of the strongest signs we have that there's probably going to be a recession. So obviously, as chairman, he'd love to you know manage that soft landing. If he, in fact, gets some softer inflation numbers, it makes it... I'll say it's more possible. It is certainly going to be a difficult chore. All right. So I want to ask you about the question we really brought you on to talk about before we knew all this other stuff was going to happen. Bond yields. Have mm-hmm. we reached peak bond yields? And how do you think that today's PCE report will impact those yields? So I kind of go at it and, and I looked at it a bunch over history. And in one sense, I think we're asking the wrong question. So if you're an investor, what you really is vexing you is that Stocks and bonds are really moving in unison. You really saw it yesterday, right? So Powell comes out, says, uh, you know, more dovish things. Bond prices move up. Stock prices go ballistic, particularly in like the technology and the growth areas that have been, you know, crushed due to higher yields. Um, what I did is I went back and said, hey, whenever we go into a recession, do bond yields always fall? And then also, does inflation always come down? Uh, and the answer is actually surprisingly no on both counts. Now, most of the time it does. Um, but again, the boogeyman really is inflation if, in fact, inflation stays high. So it's really obviously hard to know if that inflation number stays high. But that's 
what you really have to key on, which is why, you know, the number today remains extremely important. Yeah, a lot of things are hard to know in this market these days, especially in the last month of this year. So much going on. we got PCE coming up today, CPI later, the Fed meeting later. So my question to you is, do you have a projection when it comes to bond yields? Uh, there was a time that we thought bond yields would top 5% possibly this year. Now that doesn't seem quite as likely. Where do you see them going? You know, I'm, I'm actually, if you make me pick, um, I, I'm going to say they, we end up going higher again. And the only reason I say that is, again, looking at history, when you've seen inflation CPI above 5% when you've gone into a recession, you've still seen, generally speaking, the, uh, the yields move higher still. They may not necessarily move a lot higher, but I just kind of look at the risk-reward when we're building portfolios. That's really what we care about. So I'd be a little mindful of, of maybe not getting too excited about kind of chasing, trying to make money on the, the lower yields, because you're going to make plenty of money on the lower yields on the stock side. You saw it yesterday, right? Um, and I think that's probably the key to when you're really putting together a portfolio. All right, Bill Stone, we'll try not to get too excited either. By the way, you're supposed <laughs> to be here. We got a chair for you right here, man. I thought you were coming in. Great to see no, you over Zoom, I, though. I didn't know that, but I'm going to come some again sometime. That would be awesome. I hope so, man. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Thanks Thank for you. being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, bracing for OPEC, the likelihood of the oil block uh, could further cut output amid recent price pressures, plus Congress pushing ahead with efforts to avoid a potentially crippling national rail strike. The latest on the next steps with just days to go into the deal deadline. And Mark Zuckerberg speaking out against Apple amid his ongoing war of words with the fellow tech giant. His comments ahead when a very busy hour of Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Watching the price of crude after yesterday's more than 3% gain. It's the best day since early November. And once again, trading close to or above 80 bucks a barrel. A number of factors at play, including an OPEC plus production decision this Sunday. Early reports indicate no change in output levels on Monday. European Union sanctions banning seaborne imports of Russian oil. They go into effect, as do G7 price caps on Russian oil exports, if an agreement can be reached before then. Talks at a standstill right now. Investors and energy buyers also watching any move from the White House after yesterday's final SPR drawdown. Levels at the Strategic Reserve right now sitting at their lowest levels since the 80s. Joining me now to discuss is Matt Smith, lead oil analyst for the Americas at Kepler. Matt, great to have you here. Thanks for that. All right. First, I think we want to start with the question everybody wants to know. Where do you see oil going in this last month of the year? We heard or a lot of people speculate that oil would spike due to those OPEC production cuts. But I think that was largely dependent on China opening up somewhat. And we just don't really have a timetable for that. Right. So in terms of China, that's been the most bearish issue for the whole of this year. And that's going to continue into next year. So China is kind of weighing on the market. But in terms of where we go through the end of this year here now, you've got the OPEC uh, meeting coming up on Sunday. So they could make a production cut again. And if they do that, that will obviously support prices. Mm -hmm. At the same time, too, the day afterwards, we then have Russian sanctions kicking in as well. And we've also got the end of the SPR in the U.S., too. So those three factors are very much supportive for crude going into the end of the year here. 
All right. Most people that follow the markets understand when you cut production, that generally causes prices to, to rise. Um, how big of a, a cut could happen? What would be in the best interest of OPEC and OPEC Plus? Sure. Well, well, everything we've heard out of OPEC in recent months is that uh, they, they want to support prices around that kind of $90 level. So we saw them cut, uh, made to make a, a minor cut in September. Prices were closer to $100 then. In October, they made that big cut of 2 million barrels a day, and prices were closer to 90 Now we're closer to 80 So it seems that we are going to get a cut from them. If we don't, we're going to get a lot of rhetoric saying that they are likely to cut if prices remain low going forward here. All right. Right now, Brent crude right now at about 86, almost 87 bucks a barrel. Um, you said they want to get it to 90. Um, but at the same time, we know that some of that sanctioned Russian oil, it's being bought. Now, I'm going to say siphon. I don't want to say it's something illegal because it doesn't seem like it's illegal. But Asian countries are buying it. What right. does that do to their ability to get that price up to 90? Right. That's why we're seeing prices somewhat in check, because we have sanctions kicking in uh, uh, next week. But the situation is that seaborne crude out of Russia isn't dropping. So it's dropping into Europe, and so it's coming to a halt into those EU27 countries. But instead, to your point, it's heading uh, predominantly to India, also to China, into Turkey, etc. And so in the grand scheme of things, we're not seeing Russian crude exports drop. And the price action we're seeing in oil, is the idea of China reopening and, you know, obviously they're a big consumer of oil, is that priced in or is that something that could potentially lead to a big pop? We're hearing a lot of talk, and uh, we have our Unishun coming up later, that China's trying to pivot softly um, to reopening and kind of pivoting away from its zero COVID strategy. I think that's why we really saw prices come off in the last month is because we've had renewed lockdowns coming through from China there. And so it's, it seems they're going to keep that zero COVID policy in place until probably, uh, you know, two, uh, second quarter of next year. And so we should expect China to be a bearish influence continuing into next year until then. Very interesting. We have our Brian Sullivan, a friend of yours, a friend of mine, going to the OPEC Plus meeting, I believe. Um, what are you expecting to hear at that meeting? Are we expecting any shockers? Give us the story that people aren't talking about. Just the fact that I think that they're just going to, uh, they, if they don't cut, they're going to insinuate that they're going to cut going forwards if we see prices remaining closer to 80 than 90. And so that story of a higher oil price is something that we should come to expect from them targeting that. All right, Matt Smith, great to have you here. By the way, great tie invest combo. I might steal that. Man. You That's can have look. it. <laughs> That's a good look. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. China announces it's entering a new stage in its fight against COVID. We're just referencing that. We're live in Beijing with our Eunice Yoon with the policy changes making leaders, uh, leaders there are making, and also the growing backlash. They were Worldwide Exchange. We're going to be right back. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now to developments out of China, where leaders there are announcing a new stage in the country's fight against COVID, potentially signaling shifts in Beijing's zero COVID policy that has sparked unrest in recent days. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the very latest. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Frank. Well, those comments uh, were made about the new stage were made by China's top lockdown enforcer, uh, the vice premier who's often referred to as Beijing's lady of lockdowns, 
had convened a meeting of health experts uh, where she said that Omicron is less pathogenic and notably skipped using the term zero COVID. Now, all of this uh, coincides with the state media today uh, really downplaying the after effects of long COVID, which is something that Chinese people have been really, really concerned about after being uh, barraged with the message uh, for the past three years that COVID is extremely dangerous. Um, also, um, we saw cities around the, the country uh, dropping or at least easing somewhat their quarantine protocols. For example, in Chongqing and in Dongguan, uh, two cities that are important for the global supply chain, uh, both of them said that they are, will now allow uh, the quarantine at home of some close contacts. And then here in Beijing, it isn't official yet, but local authorities have been telling residents that even some infected people can quarantine at home if they meet certain conditions instead of being taken away to government isolation facilities. And then there's been some a progress made also in the city of Zhengzhou, which is often known as iPhone City, uh, the Foxconn, the, the zone, the industrial park where Foxconn has that iPhone plant, said that they are also going to be easing measures as of today. Uh, so obviously a signal there by Beijing, Frank, but we still don't know about the timing and the pacing of any type of easing. Yeah, uh, know, so another question. Obviously, we've seen so much unrest there. Um, you know, some of it's been hard to watch, to be honest. What's the latest around those protests we've been seeing across China recently? Well, uh, the latest is that they've all gone silent. And um, we definitely know that the leadership um, has paid attention to these protests and in most, most likely is trying to uh, mitigate some of those protests by um, easing up on some of the zero COVID protocols, but at the same time not admitting that they're making any real changes because the messaging here has also been that they're optimizing instead of loosening zero COVID, but still sticking to zero COVID. And at the same time, uh, the authorities are not showing that they're willing to tolerate protests at all. Um, the security around the capital, as well as, as well as other cities, is still very tight. And in fact, there are more and more reports, of Frank, of protesters getting nabbed, getting called. In fact, I had um, a discussion with one protester who said that um, they were stopped actually in traffic um, by a police and then questioned and had, their, had to open up their phone for, that, for the police and then get, get um, uh, uh, held for a little bit. And, and a lot of that is happening because um, the police are looking for the people who organized these protests. So they're going into people's phones and then looking at some of the foreign apps which have been used because they're encrypted to try to organize some of these events. All right. uh, very serious situation there, Eunice. Uh, you stay safe. Thank you for your reporting, as always. All right, still ahead, another tech CEO taking some shots at Apple. The new comments from Spotify CEO as he renews his fight with the tech giant. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check it out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps on Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. Stocks rallying off the back of Jay Powell's suggestion the Fed is ready to start pulling back on its rate hike strategy. Futures in a bit of a holding pattern ahead of the open. Sam Bankman-Fried discussed the collapse of FTX as lawmakers prepare to look at the crypto exchange's downfall. Our Alan Moy lays out the potential response out of Washington. And tech titans divided on Apple. Elon Musk appearing to make peace with the iPhone maker while, Mike, while Mark Zuckerberg launches fresh criticisms. It's Thursday, December the 1st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
And welcome back to CNBC. Uh, to Worldwide Exchange, I should say. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up on the first day of this new trading month. We're looking at futures right now pretty much flat, uh, fractionally lower, fractionally higher throughout the morning. But yesterday, stocks rallying on the back of Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's signal of a slowdown in rate hikes. The Dow surging more than 700 points, pulling out of bear market territory. That final spike helping wrap up a strong month for stocks. The Dow and the S&P both gaining more than 5%. The Nasdaq up more than 4%. Let's get a check on some of your morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau, she's back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again to you, Frank. Well, let's start with the House because the House has blocked, has voted to block a potentially crippling rail strike in a vote backed by more than 250 members of the House. Representatives passed a bill yesterday to prevent any stoppages in railroad work before the December 9 deadline. The newly approved bill binds companies and workers to a September agreement brokered by the Biden administration, which includes pay raises for members but not paid sick leave. The bill now moves to the Senate ahead of the holiday season. Twitter owner Elon Musk says he met with Apple CEO Tim Cook at Apple's headquarters yesterday. That's according to a series of tweets. Musk says he and Cook had a, quote, good conversation and that they have resolved the misunderstanding, saying that Cook was never considering pulling Twitter from the App Store. Now, this follows Musk's criticism of Apple on Monday, where he argued that its App Store moderation policies were against the spirit of free speech and mused that he may make his own smartphone. A different story for Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who is calling out Apple over its App Store policies. Speaking at the New York Times Dealbook event yesterday, Zuckerberg challenged the tech giant over its control over mobile devices. Vast majority of the profits in the mobile ecosystem go towards Apple. They have, I think, the majority of people in the U.S. have, have iPhones. It is certainly, the majority of the, the economic um, you know, activity on phones goes towards that. So I, I, I do think it is, it is problematic for, for one company to be able to control what, what kind of app experiences get on the device. And Spotify CEO Daniel Ek is echoing Zuckerberg in a series of tweets yesterday where he alleged the iPhone maker, quote, gives itself every advantage while at the same time stifling innovation and hurting consumers. In a 21-tweet thread, Ek tagged several business leaders, including Elon Musk and Microsoft President Brad Smith, and highlighted the antitrust complaints the company filed four years ago, alleging the Apple's 30% cut from purchases has caused Spotify to artificially inflate its own prices, Frank. Wow, a lot going on there. So much. (laughs) I don't know if big tech's turned into a soap opera or a pro wrestling soap opera. It feels that way, right? Yeah, it's a lot going on. Yes. All right, Savannah now. Thank you very much. All right, turning back to the latest on FTX's collapse, Congress is set to hold its first hearing on the downfall of the bankrupt crypto exchange. That hearing coming on the heels of founder Sam Bankman-Fried's conversation with our Andrew Ross Sorkin at yesterday's Deal Book event, and it was something. Uh, Alon Moy joins us now with a look at Sam Bankman-Fried's fall from grace in Washington. Alon, good morning. Uh, A lot going on here. Yeah, that's right, Frank. Sam Bankman-Fried has become persona non grata on Capitol Hill, and lawmakers are now trying to distance themselves from donations they accepted from him during their campaigns. Just take a look at the Senate Agriculture Committee, which is the one that's holding that hearing today on what happened at FTX. Bankman-Fried has given money to the top two lawmakers on the committee. Democratic Senator Debbie Stabenow received $5,800 in direct campaign contributions and another $20,800 for her victory fund. Now, the ranking Republican John Bozeman got $5,800. Both told us they are donating the money to charity. Now, five other committee members also got cash from Bankman 
Freed. Republican John Hoven said he'll send it to whatever reimbursement program gets set up by the bankruptcy courts. Democratic Senators Dick Durbin, Tina Smith and Kirsten Gillibrand told us they also intend to give the money away to a nonprofit. But Democratic Senator Cory Booker, who's been a big proponent of crypto on the Hill, has not responded to multiple emails, and he brushed off the question when we asked him about it in person. Now, in that interview with our colleague Andrew Ross Sorkin at DealBook yesterday, Bankman Freed defended his donations. I wasn't viewing it as a partisan exercise. I was not, you know, most of this was not looking at donating to one party to beat the other one in the general elections here. Frankie said he spent most of that money in primaries, and his focus was actually on pandemic prevention and not on politics. Back over to you. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, I, I'm sure you watched this a lot. I watched it myself. Uh, Andrew actually really directly asked him, were you trying to buy influence? Um, his answer doesn't matter for today's hearing. But the real question is, are these senators, are they going to face any questions or possibly congressmen, other people he donated to, um, questions about whether he was able to influence their decisions at all when it came to cryptocurrency? Yeah, so his answer to that question, Frank, was that he didn't have anything before Congress uh, to regulate. There was no application, et cetera. But certainly he did have an application before the CFTC to directly clear customer transactions. And so that is why this is going to be so important, this hearing before the Senate Agricultural Committee today. What we're going to hear from is the head of the CFTC, Rostin Benham, and I expect that lawmakers are going to be asking him about whether he could have done anything differently, uh, whether he missed things uh, in terms of the oversight of FTX, meetings that he had directly with Sam Bankman-Fried, and whether or not the agency needs more power in order to properly regulate digital assets. And this has become one of the sort of chief flashpoints in Washington around digital assets and cryptocurrencies. Who is the right regulator? Is it the SEC? Is it the CFTC? Do they need a new regulator? Sam Bankman-Fried had been in favor of a bill that's coming out of this committee that would have given the CFTC more power. But there's a lot of concern now, Frank, as you can imagine, uh, that perhaps uh, the CFTC didn't do its job in this case. We're going to hear what lawmakers have to say and the questions they have for Ross and Benham. Um, but certainly a lot of lawmakers are going back to the drawing board when it comes to uh, proposed legislation or when it comes to bills to see how they might incorporate lessons learned from FTX. Yeah, the story's certainly not anywhere close to over. Alain Moy, thank you for the very latest out of D.C. You know you'll be on top of that hearing later today. All right, for more on today's hearing and Sam Beckman-Fried's comments at yesterday's DealBook event, let's bring in Tracy Wang, Deputy Managing Editor at Coindesk. Tracy, great to have you here. Thank you, Frank, for having me. So, Tracy, let's just start. Uh, did you watch the interview? What was your take? It was certainly a lot of bombshells in there and a lot of things that I think uh, shocked a lot of us. You know... I, I was at the DealBook Summit yesterday, and I, I have to give props to Andrew Ross Sorkin. I thought he brought the fire. I thought all of his questions were fair. And the the thing, the question right now with Sam is, you know, was this whole FTX fiasco calculated fraud or criminal negligence? And so, you know, when Sam answers certain questions about the $8 billion in missing customer deposits, he is very much going for the, you know, I did not knowingly commit fraud. I did not knowingly commingle funds. And it kind of, you know, there are two types of people in the world. It's either you believe that Sam is a liar or you believe him and that he really didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I think one of the other questions is, why is he still in the Bahamas if he didn't do anything wrong? And Andrew definitely pushed him on that as well. 
Um, so coming up later today, um, the one witness in the Senate hearing that we've been talking about is, I want to make sure I say his name right, Rostin Benham from the CFTC. That's the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Um, what are you expecting to hear from his testimony? You know, the CFTC was very friendly with Sam Bankman fried and it was also the agency that I think the crypto industry um, as a whole wanted to be kind of the regulator for crypto. And so, you know, Chairman, Chairman Benham has a little bit of egg on his face. You know, we, we saw that the Senate Agriculture Committee, which uh you know, has has say over the CFTC, a lot of those politicians have accepted campaign donations from Sam Bankman-Fried. And so the question now is, you know, will lawmakers try to distance themselves from the uh, relationship that they had with Sam Bankman-Fried? And also, you know, there is right now a bill in Congress that, uh, sorry, at the uh, Senate Agriculture Committee that was proposed by uh, Senator Stabenow, um, that will basically decide whether or not the CFTC will get certain powers to regulate crypto spot markets. And a bigger question is, you know, do you throw the baby out with the bathwater? Here you have a piece of legislation that Sam Bankman fried was very heavy handed in terms of uh, helping advise on. And uh, now the question is just, you know, how much of that still stands in light of what is now what we now know about FTX and Sam Bankman fried yeah, Tracy, I want to make sure I connect the dots for the viewers and the listeners. Um, Senator Stabenow is uh, a participant with this bill that would make the CFTC the regulator. But at the same time, she received, I think, upwards of 25000 according to the lines reporting, from Sam Bankman-Fried. Is there a conflict of interest here at all, do you believe? And in general, what's the, future, what's the outlook for this bill, considering we saw BlockFi uh, declare bankruptcy, Sam Bankman-Fried's comments yesterday, and just the general outrage due to FTX? You know, one narrative that uh, that could be at play here is just that, you know, this bill had not gone into effect yet. Uh, kind of FTX collapse came before there was any real clear legislation. And so the CFTC will obviously lobby for itself. They want to have the power to um, basically regulate crypto. Uh, you know, the SEC is has its own agenda and they're both these two agencies have both been kind of battling it out. And, um, you know, the CFTC, I think, will not cede to the SEC. And they're going to argue that, you know, because of FTX's collapse, uh, this legislation is more necessary than ever. All right, Tracy, one last question. I think this is probably the thing a lot of people are listening for. I don't know about you. My head's spinning from that SBF interview. I'm still thinking about it. Um, the real question, I, I think, is where does crypto go from here, especially in this last month of the year? We've seen a slight bounce this week. But what's your outlook going forward? Does Bitcoin stay above 17000 or go back below? You know, usually markets are really forward looking. And when, you know, the the cracks in the FTX empire first appeared, we saw a giant, you know, uh, decline in the price of Bitcoin, which is the largest market cap cr cryptocurrency from around $20,000 to as low as 15000 and And over the past week, it's kind of rebound up to 17000 And so I think the market has really priced in the uh, the, I think, collateral damage of FTX's collapse. And um, unless there is new information that comes out in the coming weeks, uh, I think, you know, the BlockFi bankruptcy is probably uh, already taken into account. And a lot of the damage has already been taken into account. Wow. Well, Tracy, I think we just found the title of your book, Inside the FTX Empire. Tracy Wang, <laughs> thank you so much. We appreciate you being here.
Thank you for having me. All right, coming up, your morning's big money movers, including shares of one software provider, up double digits ahead of the open. That name when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, time now for your big money movers, your top stock stories of the morning. Harder to say than you might think. First up, Snowflake. Shares of the cloud stock falling on the back of weak product revenue guidance. Despite third quarter results beating on the top and the bottom lines, Snowflake says it expects revenue for product to come in between $535 million and $540 million in the fourth quarter. That was well below analyst estimates of roughly $553 million. Speaking with Jim Cramer last night, the other Frank, Snowflake CEO Frank Slootman, called for investors to be patient with the company. The guidance is the guidance, and, uh, you know, uh, you always have to wait and see how it plays out. We think these numbers are, are formidable uh, in, in any reasonable context. Obviously, you know, the, the sentiment in the market is a little stressed out, and you know, people react very strongly. And it's, that's understood, but, you know, we live in the real world, and, uh, you know, we just go, you know, one day at a time, one, one quarter at a time. All right, next up is Okta. Shares surging after the company surpassed Wall Street expectations on both the top and the bottom lines. Better than expected guidance for the fourth quarter, also giving the identity management software provider a big boost. Shares up more than 13 percent right now. Next, PVH shares taking off on third quarter earnings and revenue beats the owner of Calvin Klein, offering a positive outlook, saying it expects full year revenue to hit the higher end of its predicted range. Shares right now, as you can see, up more than 9 percent. And finally, five below, the stock jumping after the discount retailer beat third quarter estimates and raises fourth quarter forecast. Shares right now almost 9% higher. All right, let's stick to the retail earnings here. Several more companies to watch when they report results today. CNBC.com retail reporter Melissa Repko. She joins us now with a look at the names to watch. Melissa, great to have you here. Good to see you, Frank. It's like we're sitting upstairs. We sit right by each other here in the office. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> All right, let's start off with a, a company that's near and dear to my heart, Kroger. I'm a big grocery shopper and person that cooks at home. What are we expecting from their earnings, especially with this potential merger with Albertsons coming up? So, Frank, Kroger sales have been going up along with grocery prices, and that's been something that it's seen affect its numbers. But it's at risk of losing shoppers because discounters like Walmart and Aldi and even Dollar General are attracting more of those people as they look to save money. The third factor I'll be listening for, of course, is Kroger's been in the news because it's seeking to acquire grocery competitor Albertsons. So anything about that would be interesting on the call. Right. I misspoke. I said merger when it's really an acquisition. By the way, I live in the Midwest. Everybody there calls it Kroger's. There's an S on there for some reason in the Midwest. All right. Turn into another uh, company on the retail front, Dollar General. What are you expecting from the discount retailer? So Dollar General is also reporting before the bell this morning, and they may actually benefit from people being more affordability focused because they're known for having that low price. But if people are pulling back on spending, especially in households where budget is tight, they could actually lose sales. The third thing to watch with them is that they have a new CEO. It's the first time their CEO will be overseeing uh, earnings. He just started, Jeff Owen, started at, at the beginning of November. Does inflation help or hurt a dollar general? Because I haven't been in one in a while, but the prices seem to be moving above a dollar. You know, it's really, it could go either way. And that's what makes it an interesting one to watch. Because on the one hand, you could see people from higher income households trading down and looking for value, like Walmart's seen. On the other hand, they could see their core customer that's a little bit more restricted, lower income families pull back to the point that they're putting a lot less in their baskets. All right. Last but not least, Ulta Beauty. I've heard of like a lipstick lipstick indicator. I can't even get the words out today. That's kind of a gauge on the economy. I mean, with the reopening and people kind of back out and about, what's the outlook for this company? Yes. Yeah, so with Ulta, you know, it really boils down to whether people see beauty as a need versus a want. 
And it is interesting, as you mentioned, that as the budget's tight, people actually do look for affordable indulgences. Sometimes a tube of lipstick is something they can buy if they can't splurge on a vacation. So they could benefit from that. But of course, parties and gift giving are really popular in the beauty category. And so that will be a dynamic to watch with them as well. All right. Anything else on the retail front we should pay attention to? We mentioned PVH and Five Below just a bit ago. What else is going on with retail in this last month of the year? So we'll still be seeing a lot of retail earnings coming up. Lululemon is on tap next week, so is Rent the Runway. So really, the retail earnings keep coming, and they're offering us clues about where consumers are still willing to spend and how the holidays are shaping up. All right, Lululemon, I think Joe Kernan's getting excited. He's he's an owner of the pants. I don't know if he's a shareholder. All right, Melissa Repko, thank you very much for your insight on retail. I know you're going to continue to follow it throughout the season. Thanks, Frank. Good to see you. And speaking of Kroger, uh, be sure to catch the first interview with the company's chairman and CEO, Rodney McMullen, on Closing Bell. He talks to Sarah Eisen about the figures from the earnings and the company's push to merge with fellow grocer Albertson. Or is it an acquisition? I'll I'll let him decide at the 3 o'clock. That's 3 p.m. Eastern on Closing Bell. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, stocks looking to keep the Fed Field rally rolling as the new trading month gets underway. We lay out what to watch in the day ahead. And as a reminder, it's CNBC Pro Week. And today, it's a new way to trade with the pros. It's real trades, real access, and real money on the line. Join us at CNBC.com slash ProTalks live at 3 p.m. Eastern for a new CNBC experience. It's called The Tick with Dominic Chu. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. Welcome back. A very busy day on Wall Street to kick off the new trading month. On the economic front, we got a slew of reports on deck. At 8.30, we get the initial jobless claims, personal income, consumer spending, and core PCE price figures. That's going to be a big one. At 9.45, it's manufacturing PMI, followed by construction spending and ISM manufacturing figures. That's at 10. And as we mentioned a short time ago, we'll also get earnings from Dollar General, Kroger, and Ulta Beauty. And the Fed speak continues today. They've got to get ramped back up for this. On tap, Dallas Fed President Lori Logan, Fed Governor Michelle Bowman, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari, and Vice Chair for Supervision Michael Barr. We're going to have to see what they say following Jay Powell's comments yesterday that led to a big rally in the markets. All right, those Fed speeches facing an even more intense focus on the back of Jay Powell's signal. The central bank has slowed down the pace of rate hikes as soon as this month. For much more on that in the trading day ahead, let's bring in Michael Sheldon, Chief Investment Officer at RDM Financial Group. Michael, great to have you here. Michael, I think you might be on mute. I can't hear you. Um, there we go. There we go. It's working. Now. Okay, better now? It's early, man. We have technical difficulties here and there. But again, great to have you here. So let's Thank just you. get right into it. Uh, Jay Powell's comments definitely sparked a rally on Wall Street, the, the Dow ending 700 points higher. People really seem to like what he said, even though it was only a suggestion or a signal. Is this basically the pivot that people were looking for? Yeah, I think Powell's conversation yesterday, his testimony was widely anticipated, and it didn't disappoint Um, Basically, what the Fed did yesterday, it reinforced market expectations that it's likely to raise uh, interest rates by 50 basis points or one half of one percent at their upcoming December meeting. And this is important because keep in mind that the Fed has raised rates by 75 basis points in each of the last four meetings. So this is really the start of shift in Fed policy. And ultimately, we think interest rates, short term rates are likely to rise to probably around five percent, maybe in the first quarter of next year. So. It's an important shift, but it's not the end of the uh, cycle just yet. All right. We have those Jay Powell comments yesterday. And then this morning at 830, we have that PCE report. Um, If it's better than expected, 
Uh, how do you see that setting up the market day ahead? Well, I think the inflation data has obviously uh, the Fed's raising rates because uh, it's trying to attack persistently high inflation. And that's really been the story throughout much of this year. And that's created a roller coaster for uh, for the markets. Um, short term rates, for example, have gone from zero percent up to four percent. And uh, mortgage rates have gone from three percent to over seven percent at one point. But in terms of inflation, we think that as the economy starts to slow and you'll see that more in 2023, inflation will ultimately come down as well. And that will ultimately lead the Fed to move to the sidelines sometime in the first quarter of next year. So trying to figure out the, the inflation data from month to month is often challenging. In his testimony yesterday, uh, Fed, Powell, Fed Chairman Powell said that while some of the data last month was better, we can't count on that every month. But we think, importantly, the trend over the next several months will start to show inflation is slowing as the economy slows. I really think the consensus is that the American consumer has really saved this economy. Americans just continue to spend, even though we're all talking about recession and maybe the stock market's declining. People just keep spending, me included. I've been buying a lot of stuff. Um, how do you see well, it is the holiday season? It is. The, it is the holiday season. Good point. I've been buying it for me, though. Um, but just how do you see what we're, we're going to see in this PC report? What is it going to tell us about the American consumer and spending habits and, and the outlook going forward? Right. I think it's important to keep an eye on the U.S. consumer because the U.S. consumer represents about two thirds of the overall economy. And I think the consumer has been very resilient. That's the one thing that's really held up the economy so far. Um, employment and wages are sort of a lagging indicator, but you can't deny the fact that employment has grown over 200,000 per month for 22 straight months. The unemployment rate right now at about 3.7% is just off its lowest level since 1969. And wages are still rising at a pretty pretty decent clip. So all of that's providing a decent tailwind for the U.S. consumer. But I think as you get into early next year, I think you have to keep in mind there are some economic headwinds. For example, if you look at the leading economic indicator, which has been down over the several last several months, if you look at the yield curve, which has been sharply inverted, there are some signs that the economy could slow next year, and that could put some pressure on the consumer, at least in the first half of next year. All right, Michael Sheldon, we really appreciate the insight. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box with Joe Becky and Andrew Ross Sorkin coming off that big interview with SPF. That's coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.